welcome to episode six of the Green and Healthy Places podcast with me, Matt Morley, founder of Biofit Nature Gyms and Biophilico Interiors. In this episode, we talk to Bill Parker, Chief People Officer, and Mita Sen, VP of Strategy and Business Development for the Hero Group in Switzerland. Hero is a family-owned multinational specializing in natural consumer goods, such as baby foods, healthy snacks, and fruit jams. They have around 4,000 employees spread across 16 countries and selling in to around 50 countries globally. Their company mission of delighting consumers by conserving the goodness of nature means they have a prominent sustainability strategy, as well as a fully biophilic office building just outside Zurich in Switzerland that we were involved in back in 2019. In this conversation, we cover Hero's sustainable ingredient sourcing and product development strategies, reflecting the brand mission through those biophilic office interiors, improving productivity in the workplace while fostering a sense of community and greater interaction amongst employees, raising awareness of the role bees play in biodiversity and the business as a whole committing to be climate positive by 2030. So we jump around a bit between natural food production and nature-inspired offices here, but that really reflects the unique positioning of the Hero business and their distinct value system. For more on Hero, check them out online. That's hero-group.ch. And if you enjoy this type of content, hit subscribe, like, or share with friends and family. It all helps. Naramas, over to Bill and Mita. Well, thank you both for, for joining me today. Perhaps, Bill, it would make sense if you could kick things off by just giving a brief overview of the Hero Group as it is today for those who may not be familiar with it, and its brands and product ranges, because I know there's a lot to it. Sure, Matt, I can, I can do that. Um, so we're, we're a, a mid-sized, I guess we, we like to consider ourselves a, a big, small company, but we're an international, uh, family-owned food company. And our thing and what we're very passionate about is, is naturally good and healthy food. We were founded in Switzerland many years ago. So 1886 was when the, the Hero business was, was founded. And, and today, I guess, and over the number of years, we, we've become a, I guess, uh, a, a family of a number of international and local brands uh, that have been acquired or grown organically over the last 130 years or so. So majority of our business is in baby food, and we also have a big business in healthy snacks, predominantly in cereal bars and the Corny brand. We have a number of businesses in the natural spreads area, mainly in jam. Uh, and this is basically where, where we focus and where most of our business uh, is. And we employ around just over 4,000 people in about 16 countries. And we have mainly European footprint, but we do sell to around over 50 countries globally. And um, I guess our, 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 the work that we are really passionate and committed to is all about the mission, which is delighting consumers by conserving the goodness of, of nature. So we, we are really committed to bringing that to life in what we do. So that, that's a bit of a background on, on Hero. So if all of the, the various brands and sub-brands and product ranges then in a way link back to that, that sort of fundamental uh, that foundation stone of, of the business around conserving the goodness of nature. Mita, perhaps you could talk to the point of how 
hero's uh, relationship with nature impacts its its strategy and operations. I mean, for everything, I guess, from responsible sourcing strategies and onwards from there, your your role is is really in helping to deliver that. So, so how does that how does that play out in the day to day? Yeah, I mean. I think you mentioned it quite clearly that conserving the goodness of nature is not just our mission statement, but it's actually been, you know, at the center of our DNA from from the beginning. So, you know, the way we look at it as a family-owned company is we as a company want to be around for generations to come. And if we want to be here in future generations, we need to make sure that there is a healthy planet um, that's also there in generations to come to, to help us deliver our products. Um, so for us, actually, one of the um, the main things that I have been working on is really defining our sustainability strategy and, um, you know, looking at our mission statement of conserving the goodness of nature, that's really inspired um, two big elements of our of our sustainability strategy. I would say um, both in terms of sustainable sourcing, um, but also in terms of our product development and, and just the products that we produce. So, for example, on uh, sustainable sourcing, you know, we've really looked at improving and increasing that relationship we have with our farmers and working together with them um, to define the most meaningful sustainability criteria around, you know, water usage, around biodiversity, around land use, um, and really making sure that we're implementing things together to ensure we're having regenerative um, agriculture in our sourcing strategy. Um, And then also in in product development, we're actually making a lot of efforts to uh, ensure that our products are good for the planet and for people. So we're really using Mother Nature and nature as our inspiration uh, for for creating naturally healthy foods. So um, trying not to to mess too much and tamper too much with all the goodness that Mother Nature brings us and um, and respect, you know, the, the quality that she brings as well. So it's really kind of played a strong part in defining both our sustainable sourcing strategy, but also our product development strategy, I would say. It's interesting listening to the the language you're using there because it, it really sort of connects with a lot of the vocabulary and the, the strategy around creating green, green buildings in themselves, uh, around trying to think about, for example, the materials that go into the building, um, which would be the equivalent of the, the ingredients that go into the products that, that you're putting out onto the shelves and taking responsibility to, if you like, sort of go upstream as far as you can. Um, Bill, when you when you took on the project of bringing the outside world into your corporate headquarters, in a way, it, it was it was the reflection of that, right? It was almost as if the, 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 the HQ building needed to follow that same philosophy that Meeta's just described about the sourcing and the ingredients for the for the products. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, I think it is. I mean, there, there were a couple of things that we wanted to achieve when we set up on the project. And, and as you know, the history of this building is, you know, we used to be located in central Lensburg and it was close to the factory and, and that was sold and we migrated further up uh, away from the center of town. And so we had a greenfield site of which to build. And the building itself is wonderful. It's a beautifully architectural, uh, architectural um, design building, uh, which is very interesting, very pleasant to look at. From the outside but of course when you look at the inside and the space that was created it really wasn't fit for purpose so of course we, we wanted to take the opportunity to do a couple of things the first one was we had to make the space work better for the changing nature of the work so and that was more about how do we improve the productivity of people how do we make the workspace work for them and the way they have to get work done 
I think the second part, which was very, very important for us and very important for the CEO at the time, was how can we better reflect the mission of the company in the space and make the headquarter building an inspiration for all the officers around the hero world. So that, that link between the mission and, and the, the physical manifestation of that mission in, a, in an office building was super important for us. And that's where it kind of started, Matt. You know? And we, we started to explore this idea and we read more and then we started to understand that there's this distinctive bond between humans and nature. And, and then we stumbled on biophilic workspace design, which of course I didn't really know a lot about, but as we started to delve into it and realize there's a big opportunity here, that's when we really realized we needed some expertise and then we started speaking to you at the time. And and the the science behind biophilic, you know, was much more complicated than I thought. Well, I thought it was all about just sticking a bunch of plants in your office and people would be happy and the stress would be lower. But actually there's a lot more to it around use of natural fibers and fabrics and really thinking about the, the materials you're using and, and where they're sourced from and, and, and what, what people are exposed to in, in the workspace. So that that's that they were the two real things we were looking for. You know, how do we create a better space for people to work in, but actually almost as importantly, was how do we reflect our mission in the space? It's interesting around the the, the perception of, of biophilic design. And as you say, it, it, isn't it just, you know, a green wall and some plants? Whereas in fact, it goes so much deeper than that, or there's the opportunity for it to go so much deeper than that. And in a way to go, not just to restore some sense of, of a natural environment indoors where you're working, but also maybe even go beyond it to make it an even, you know, if possible, healthier space. So there's that, there's that health aspect to it as well. I mean, you mentioned that perhaps you were struggling with some of the specifics of the workspace uh, before you undertook the project. I mean, for things like, you know, when you're, you're dealing with a large concrete and glass circular building, things like acoustics and, and finding quiet spaces to work, like how were, you, how were you dealing with that in the previous version and how far do you feel like that's been resolved in, in, in the space that you're working with now, so the revised version of the, the office? Yeah, I, I think it's it's true that we had some really um, technical challenges to overcome with the building itself. That, that we couldn't really, I mean, you know, we couldn't change the the, the building itself, uh, unfortunately. But um, you know, we, we we saw that, and I think it's very interesting when you think about workspace design. Clearly, when this building was built eight, nine, maybe ten years ago, the the, the culture of the company was very different to what it is today. So, of course, it reflects. They reflected the culture at the time, which was, you know, um, using the space with with, uh, with having uh, offices on certain on all the floors, limited meeting space, you know, small areas around open space. So, of course, one of the first challenges we wanted to overcome was how do we create a, a, a greater sense of community and a greater sense of this campus space, you know, where spontaneous interactions and connections were actually encouraged, because that's where we felt that there was relationship building collaboration would happen and and we felt that was important so that was a key challenge that we had to do was to try to break down the space a little bit to allow us to be able to create more social um, social areas um, I think the second area was what I call I wanted to democratize the space because the challenge we had was we had all these leaders in offices and limited amounts of open space and actually these these leaders were often traveling so it didn't seem to make any sense you know the people who needed to meet, who were not traveling, couldn't find workspace or space to meet. 
So we had to really invert the whole way we, we thought about the space. And, and we, we made the bold choice of getting the leaders out of the offices, putting them to the open space. And then we really used a lot more square meterage on, on more informal and formal meeting spaces that allow people to choose how and where and, and what they wanted to do in those spaces. So it gave them a lot more freedom and, and we see the benefits of that. Um, I think the third area you mentioned is, was absolutely a big issue for us was acoustics. That was a big challenge. And you know, when you're also trying to create a more open work environment, of course, that means that the acoustic challenge just becomes greater. So that's where we, we worked a lot, I think, on some of these biophilic elements. You know, how do we use natural plant walls to limit you know, high, high traffic areas? You know, how do we how do we make sure that the high usage areas were were, were protected and we had natural fabric, acoustic paneling and, and, and carpets uh, to limit noise flow? And so so there were a lot of things we did that maybe were not so noticeable to the naked eye, but but we're really trying to address a, a significant acoustic challenge we had uh, in the building. I think you know there were other things that we also looked at, but they weren't necessarily the main drivers. But you know how could we how could we install water fountains to replace plastic bottle use? You know, how could we remove physical storage? It was really interesting that when, when we asked people how much physical storage they felt they needed, that they completely over-ordered, you know, office um, storage cabinets. And what we wanted to do was say, hey, do you really need all this? Let's encourage digital filing. Let's reduce the printing in the office. And let's try and really think carefully about how we're using this space. Let's just not take what we had before and just make it uh, new. Let's really think differently about how we work. So I think there were lots lots of elements that we tried to address through the, the renovation of the building and, and using biophilic design as, as our inspiration. To get to that level of insight, I mean, it really is. It's, it's a business like yours that already has a grounding in, in a sort of a natural ethos and value system, plus you know, some, some real deep thinking around uh, workplace wellness. And I think that's that's in a way how you got to the result that you you ended up with, which is you know a beautiful space that really reflects the mission. But I just wonder when you, if we try to sort of drill down into the that process, then of I don't want to say selling the idea internally, but there is a there is an element of that, right? When you sort of was it a top down process, or was it look we've got a problem, we need to improve this, or was it the CEO saying no, we're ready to go? I'm just wondering if there's you know, any any lessons we could take, or that others listening might be able to garner from this around you know, pushing for uh, a more natural um, refurb or you know, spruce up of their existing office. Was it, was it pushing from below or was it the CEO with a vision? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, every, every business will be different. We, we were lucky, I think, and Mito would advocate this. We, we have a CEO here who is very, very committed to this mission. So I think that in some ways we, we were almost blessed by the fact that, that the CEO really wanted to, to put a marker in the sand, I would say, you know, about how serious are we about the mission. And, you know, if we really are committed to that, and he's also a brand guy, so of course he, it's all about the brand experience. He, he wanted to make sure that the workspace design um, uh, facilitated and reflected uh, who we were as a company. I must also say we were we were... So whilst I don't think he was necessarily a huge advocate of the use of workspace to drive productivity or thinking about biophilic as a way of improving um, the health uh, of workspace, I think that over time, as he learned, as we all learned along the way about the power, potential power of this approach, it, it became easier to convince others. And I think you know, one of the things that really helped us at the time was we were trying to transform the company from being very local 
to being a much more collaborative sort of one company, more integrated. So of course that meant that the workspace should also reflect the cultural transformation that you're trying to drive as a company. And, and what better way to do that than by altering your workspace and creating space that allows people to be more collaborative and, and, and reflect uh, who we want to be. So I think that also helps. So there's elements for us that were that helped a lot, but of course it all started with the CEO who's very committed to this idea of nature and, and this mission that's been very, very meaningful to him. So in fact, he created it, so that, that helps. And then clearly that, that plays through once, once the new space is up and running. Have you noticed an impact on the HR side, thinking specifically around, it's an, it's an often forgotten side effect, but talent attraction and retention. So being able to sort of, if you like, create an environment that really appeals to your staff and creates a space that, that they want to come to work in or perhaps leave one company for, for your business is a, in part, not fully, but in part because of what they know they're going to be experiencing every day when they come into work. Have you, have you seen any direct impact post opening the new office? Yeah, I mean, we, we actually, as you know, we, we did a baseline survey. So we, we, before we started any of the work, we basically asked people who use the building, you know, tell us about how it is to exist in this place, you know, to work, to get things done. And of course, we took a more health-related angle on that survey because we wanted the place to be, uh, uh, you know, promoting and enabling people just to be healthy at work. So we did the, the baseline. We haven't done the follow-up survey. We, we're scheduled to do it in December, where we'll, we'll really get some good quantitative and qualitative feedback from people. But what what I would say, I think, is that um, you know, even anecdotally, when when I walk into the building. Even with potential candidates, you know, the first thing I say often when I'm walking through the, the floor in the past, whereas I say, yeah, we're all about, you know, conserving the, good, the goodness of nature, but you're welcome to this concrete bunker of, of a building. It, it, didn't, it didn't resonate. It didn't feel harmonious. It felt in, inconsistent with what we were saying through the mission. So I think that now when I walk into the building, I definitely think that it gives the wow effect. I think people are not expecting to walk into that kind of workspace. When you approach Lensburg and you see this kind of round building, you expect it to be kind of, but when they walk in, you do get the impression that people are like, oh, wow. Okay, I, I, can, I can see here. So I, I would say, Matt, that the story we tell now is a much harmonious and more compelling story. And I do believe that in the, in, in, even now we see it, you know, people are, are much more attracted to the company because of part of the, the, the partly driven by the, the physical space when they walk into our building. So I think it's, it's, it's a bit difficult to answer your question specifically. It's a bit difficult at the moment to say, you know, have, has it improved our ability to attract and retain talent? I, I, I probably need to reflect back on that in, in another year or two, but I would absolutely say it's helped um, to tell a more compelling story. So that then is you sort of, if you like, bulked up your, your credentials around the, on the people side. And Amita, I know at the beginning of our chat, you, you, you mentioned the idea of people and planet and the idea of those two really sitting alongside each other in, in, in harmony and in sort of in, in equilibrium uh, effectively. Have you seen since joining the company, I mean, obviously you've got a number of key initiatives, but it would just be really interesting to understand a bit more about what um, Hero's doing on that 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 
planet side of the equation? I mean, for example, I saw, I was reading up about your the, the Be Careful initiative. Is, is that still active? And if so, could you sort of just give a quick overview of how that works and what you're aiming to do there around uh, connecting or raising awareness around the role of bees in, in agriculture? Yeah, definitely. I mean, first of all, it's definitely still active. Um, you know, it's actually one of the areas um, that we've been we've been working on for quite a while now, and we've we started this program um, many years ago. You know, in collaboration with uh, with the university, and I actually I'm the more I I even dig into it, the more passionate I get about it, and the more I think we can do with it. Um, but what I would say is the Be Careful initiative. Um, you know, maybe started much more around, you know ensuring that the population of bees um, was improved because there was quite a, a staggering decline in the number of bees. And if you look at uh, the role that the bee plays, uh, you know, in pollination, I think it, there are some studies that say it represents sort of 80% of, of all of the, uh, the produce that we do comes from pollination from bees. Um, and so the starting point, I would really say, was around um, education uh, to our consumers, but also our employees around, uh, you know, saving the bee, let's say. And, and there was much more um, of a drive around increasing the number of beekeepers. You know, we, we helped promote um, people and, and educate people on how to become um, a beekeeper. And, and that, I think, is, is continuing and is still gaining a lot of, of energy and traction. And, you know, we're getting quite a few, you know, also passionate beekeepers as employees as well, which is, which is always lovely to see. Um, where I see there's just so much more to do with this is in the collaboration we have with our farmers. So now that we're, um, you know, as I mentioned before, working a lot closer with our farmers, um, you know, we're able to work with them to actually understand the role that that not just the bee, but all insects or many insects play in uh, regenerating the soil and actually, uh, you know, allowing us to have um, improved biodiversity, improved kind of soil health. And this is something that we've now been setting up um, where I call it sort of the bee-inspired ecosystem. And it's really, you know, this uh, uh, work we're doing with a few farmers to plot very close to their farmlands, you know, a small strip of land with, you know, 20, 30 very specific trees, you know, beehive uh, and certain insects. And over time, this, you know, ecosystem uh, basically recreates itself it, it kind of um, it encourages more insects to uh, to flourish there birds etc and they actually help uh, regenerate the soil and the land of the agri of the farmers um, plot so you know this I think is the area that we that we really could do a lot more and and we're still at the starting points of that and starting trying to research and and figure out how we can do more. Um, but yeah, that's the sort of part, two parts of the Be Careful initiative that we're working through to help, uh, yeah, to help give this little creature a bit more, uh, a bit more presence and, um, and a much healthier and longer life. Yeah. It's just a great example of, of value driven activity within, within a big corporation or a big medium sized corporation. <laughs> small big, yeah, exactly. Yeah, small big, small. <laughs> but you know, it's, it is, it is, because it, it's, yeah, probably, you know, the, the, the sort of the net result of it all is quite intangible, but nonetheless, it's just you're leading from the front. You're 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 showing commitment to the cause and committing to something that you know will play out 
over future generations. The other thing I was interested in asking about is the idea of committing to net neutral production looking ahead. How is that going to impact the company? And when you drill down into it in your day to day, like what is what is the what is the real impact of that? And how do you create that um, roadmap from where you are now to to hitting that goal? Yeah. And- and I mean, I maybe take one one step back to say, like when we sat down to define our ambition, we purposely said we have to be uh, very ambitious because you know if if we're you know one of many, but but one of com- of a, of many companies trying to make change happen, you know we have to over um, deliver in order to make sure that we don't uh, affect the planet in the ways that some of the the predictions are saying. So we actually made a commitment to be overall climate positive by 2030. Uh, and one of the ways that we have to do that is by making sure in the production of all our products, you know, we're, we're net neutral. Uh, and here, you know, it's uh, a combination of saying, look, it's not just about CO2 and greenhouse gases, but also because we are a, um, a food company, water usage is also re- very important. So we've also committed to be net neutral on water use in our production um, and around food waste, because we know that that's a big, uh, a big challenge in our industry today. Um, I think for us, it, it really means two things. It means in our own house, we need to we need to clean house, let's say. So we're really um, putting the the incentive and also the um, the KPI on, in all of our production plants around these three areas, so around water, waste, and CO two. Um, and we're really encouraging people to to come up with initiatives, come up with ideas um, that can help us reduce our impact, you know, first and foremost, we say we need to measure first, we need to then reduce, and then anything that we can't reduce, you know, we need to find ways of uh, recycling or our offsetting. So I think it's it starts first with making sure we have a very clear plan in our own production plants to get to this net neutral level. Um, but we didn't want to stop there. We actually said, look, we need to be net neutral on all of our products. So even in um, a situation where we maybe work with co-manufacturers or we work, um, you know, with other suppliers of finished goods, we've said it's important that they also, uh, we work with them to also try to become net neutral in uh, in their production as well. So I think it just, it fundamentally has changed um, the KPIs that we're tracking and what we, um, you know, what we're making sure we deliver on uh, in, our, in our products. It's not only, you know, speed of delivery, but really the sustainability metrics are fully embedded into our supply chain now. Yeah, it's really, uh, it's it's a, another great example, I think. It's, it would just be, just to be respectful of your time, but perhaps just on a, on a personal level then, Mita, I mean, like, how does this, this, I mean, obviously, there's passion behind all of this, and you're you're right in the thick of it every day. But how how does it how does it affect the relationship that you have with the company that that you work for? I mean, do you feel like there's obviously some kind of a shared value system? How does it how does it affect the way you think of work? Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. I think it's it's difficult to say that you completely separate, you know, your work life from your personal life, right? I think with the amount of time that we spend, you know, in in work, you know, you want to feel uh, passionate and feel like you're doing something good. And, you know, also as a, as a mother, you know, you, you think about the next generations and you think about, you know, the planet that you're going to be leaving. 
you know, for your kids. And um, I feel really proud, actually, every time, you know, we, we all step up and I see the passion behind my colleagues and everyone in this company around doing something more and making sure we deliver. I find that, you know, it just gives me energy. So for sure, personally, it, it really changes the way I, I think about stepping into work every day. And Bill, from you on the on the people side, is there what where do you see the next few years going? Like what what else would you like to achieve within within the the business that that you still have on your horizon within the same sort of you know, green and healthy concept? Well, I, I think um, you know I, I definitely think that you know we're, we're lucky in some respects because you know if if you go back to the original DNA of the company, you know. It's, the reason they were canning fruit and vegetables in 1886 was because they were trying to take the goodness of nature and, and, and make it last longer than, than fresh produce. So this innovation and breakthrough was, you know, so it's, it's always been at the core, I think, of what we do as a company. Mm-hmm. I think what we've managed to do in the last few years is to reignite that a little bit and reconnect people to, to what that means. Of course, the challenge now is, you know, how do we really amplify that? How do we tell that story more externally? Because I know that there are a lot of people, a lot of people I talk to, there's a big shift happening, if you think about it, in the world. You know, I was talking to someone, a friend of mine last week who works for Shell, you know, that they're making huge changes to the way they do business, you know, moving away from exploration and all, you know, food, car companies, you know, making big stuff. So I think the opportunity we have as as a responsible food producer that's committed to being climate positive gives us a massive opportunity to be attractive to talent in the future we just need to make sure that the, the people understand what we're about what we stand for and, and 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 if you're you know people who are interested to work for a, a company committed to conserving nature then then you know hey it's uh, come and join hero so i think there's there's big opportunities for us in that in that space um and i maybe on my last thought as you asked that question is you know COVID has created loads of challenges there's no doubt about it and, and probably there are industries that are much more affected than we are but if I if I just think now, you know, about you know this this huge unprecedented unplanned pandemic and how it's changed the way we work, you know, we, we're starting to think now much more carefully about okay, what 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 role do our officers play in the future? You know, I'm sure some of your clients are also asking themselves the same question. You know, I I, I work from home and I meet in the office. I, I don't know what what will the future be, but I'm just very proud and pleased that the work we did to renovate the space and create a more modern, natural, healthy place to be is actually still purpose fit for, for even COVID times. I, I find people coming into the office from home to meet in, in perfectly good, healthy work environments. They can continue to get their work done. And, uh, and that's very pleasing to me. So that, um, that, that's, that's what I would say, Matt, to, to your question. Yeah, it's um, it's going to be turbulent times for for another six to twelve months, it seems. But but I think the office will survive. It may well, it may well end up with a slightly different format. Um, but you know, it's not going anywhere soon. I think that connection, uh, interaction with other people is just it's still so fundamental. I think in a way, we've all it's arguably the biggest takeaway for some of us has just been what living in isolation means and and how work is actually a lot about the people that you're with and the experiences you share with them day to day. Absolutely. No, I agree with that. I think there will, there will be a place for the office. Definitely. Yeah. This connection, I think the human connection that you referred to is, is super important for, for the way we work and, and for our culture. So we will continue to, 
<laughs> have offices in the future. Unlike some companies I read about, but anyway, yeah. Ha, very cool. Well, listen, um, just to sign off then in terms of uh, people looking to do a bit of reading on the Hero Group, what, what are the best uh, websites or social media handles for them to, to look out for? Well, I think follow us on LinkedIn, please. Uh, you'll find information on LinkedIn page. Uh, you'll also find information on our, on our Hero Group website, which has uh, got a lot of information about who we are, a bit of our history and and a whole bunch of stuff, including obviously vacancies you're interested to join. So um, that, they're probably the two best places to, to, to follow us. Uh, we're also available on Instagram if you want to follow the, the Hero uh, corporate page on Instagram. Cool. We'll, we'll, leave the, we'll leave all the links in the episode notes. So yes. thank you both for your time. It's been great. Wonderful. Thank you so thank much. Thank you very much.